Well, this journey through Acts took an interesting turn a week ago. And I realized that last Sunday was fall break for many of you and many people out of town. But if you did not get to tune in, you need to listen to Mark Lamb's sermon from Acts 16 on Paul and Barnabas splitting up. And I want to tune you into this if you weren't here because there is a moment in the early church where two giants of the faith, two pillars of the movement of God that happened 2,000 years ago, Paul and Barnabas get in such a sharp disagreement over something that they literally decide to go in two different directions. You know, it's possible to love Jesus deeply and have really hard conflict with somebody else who loves Jesus deeply. And what I love about Mark's sermon is he talked about how conflict is not the symptom of something going wrong in your life or in your story. No, conflict is going to arise wherever sinful people are becoming more like Jesus. But I love that his sermon gave us a roadmap for something that so many Christians are confused about because I think a lot of us assume that where there's tense conflict, we need to back away and we need to withdraw and we just need to ghost that person and we just need to... He gave us such a clear picture of what actually happens when we take something that we're passionate about and end up becoming more convicted about our preferences than on the purpose of God, I would highly encourage you if you missed that sermon to check it out because as the pastor of this church, I'm noticing a lot of our issues in spiritual maturity come down to interpersonal relationships, not how passionate we are about Jesus. I'm watching a lot of Christians who are ill-equipped to handle conflict in their families, conflict in their marriages, and I'm not saying that sermon's going to fix everything. It won't. It's a good starting place. But we need to be a church that acknowledges this is a discipleship issue, and we actually have a roadmap to do this well as Jesus people. And today is going to be a sermon where it'll shock you how often this is going to be a part of your story if you are a Christian, but I'm going to give you the depressing title from the beginning. Today's sermon is called Closed Doors and Unmet Expectations. Closed Doors and Unmet Expectations. Just like it is surprising in following Jesus how much conflict will happen in your interpersonal relationships, it is equally as surprising how often following Jesus will result in closed doors and unmet expectations. And you're going to see this in the book of Acts today, but I need to define the terms right off the bat. When I say closed doors, I am talking about an opportunity in your life where you needed God to do something in order for you to walk through a certain door. So think a job opportunity, think a career, think a relationship, think a school you wanted to get into. Like, this is the pathway I want to walk, but I need there to be a door open so I can walk through it and move into that phase of life. And for whatever reason, God, not Satan, not you, not circumstance, but God himself decides, I'm shutting that door. That's a closed door. Unmet expectations are what happens in life when what you thought was coming circumstantially looked far different than what actually happened. When reality does not meet up to your expectations and your hopes are dashed and you're going, I thought this relationship would end here. I thought this story would end here. I thought my life would be further on by now. An unmet expectation is the disappointment and disillusionment that happens on the back end of having a roadmap in your mind of what you thought life was going to be like and then sitting in the harsh reality of where you are right here and right now. I know, really depressing to talk about, but we have to talk about this, guys, because 
Very few people will tell you how often these two things will happen while following Jesus at the beginning of your journey. At the beginning of following Jesus, it's all open doors and full satisfaction. It's all, he's the God who will make a way where there is no way. He's the God, Revelation 3, who when he opens a door, no man can shut it. Like God provides miraculously and you're hearing everybody else's story and you're hearing about what Jesus did on the cross and God makes a way where there is no way. And then you start following Jesus and a door closes and the God who makes a way where there is no way becomes the God who's starting to get in the way. And you're going, uh, no one told me uh, that this was going to be, this isn't the deal. Like the deal is doors locked, you open it, I walk through it. Not, I thought the door was open and you closed it and now I'm disappointed. And equally as often, a God who we tell people fully satisfies, a God who Jesus himself claimed, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll be satisfied in a way that goes far beyond human temporary satisfaction. And, and the hard thing is all of those things are true. Like Jesus does fully satisfy. He does make a way where there is no way. And yet at the same time, he will close doors and he will seem to disappoint your immediate expectations in order to ultimately exceed them. Now this is going to happen in the life of Paul in such a clear way in this story, but what I want to invite us into today is an opportunity to not allow your disappointment to dominate you. To not allow the disillusionment that happens in following Jesus and the difficulty that happens and the frustration that happens when you go, I had this made up about my future and that's not how my life turned out. That doesn't have to mean that you become disengaged from God. In fact, what we're gonna see in the scripture today and what I believe you're gonna see in your own life if you spend any time following Jesus, closed doors and unmet expectations are actually God's secret sauce for paving your pathway in the best way possible. You're gonna see it in the book of Acts. Did you bring your Bible this morning at the 8.30 gathering? Did you bring your Bible at all of our other locations? If you have your Bible, hold it up, hold it up. There are people who I called out a month ago for not bringing their Bibles and out of fear that it would happen again. Hey, if it gets you to bring your Bible, I'm happy with it, Brandon. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're gonna pick up right where we left off last week. In verse six, Paul has taken Silas. He's left behind Barnabas. Barnabas has taken John Mark and gone another way. Paul's got Silas and a young guy named Timothy, who's sort of his protege being raised up in the faith. And their journey begins with a closed door from God himself. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse six. If you're there, say, I'm there. Some of y'all are not there. I'll give you a little more time. You're like, I wanna be there, but I'm in Luke. Keep going, two more. You're there, you're there. Acts chapter 16, verse six. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Just go ahead and circle what kept Paul from getting to this place called Asia was the Holy Spirit of God. So he went to a place called Phrygia and Galatia. Galatia is where the church in Galatians is gonna be from. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Circle that. Stopping Paul and his companions from preaching. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. 
During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We'll stop right there. We're not done with the narrative, but I want to make all this make sense. Luke begins this section saying, Paul and his companions wanted to go to Asia. Now, when you hear Asia, you think like Japan, China. No, it's, we're talking about a province in the Greco-Roman world where there was a city called Ephesus. So Ephesians, written to that church that Timothy will ultimately become the pastor of, that's where they want to get. That's where they want to preach. And two times in this narrative, Luke tells us the door was shut in their face, not by Satan, not by circumstance, but by God. Do you notice it said the Holy Spirit and Jesus were the ones who were closing the doors. And it's not like they were closing the doors on them going to Asia to party and go down the ways of the world. They're like closing the door on the preaching of the word of God in a province in the Greco-Roman world. Now, they don't give any details as to what that closed door is. Scholars debate about this. Some people think it was a financial issue. Some people think it was a physical sickness issue. That's where I lean because if you pay attention to the pronouns in Acts 16, they flip in this narrative from they, they, they to we. And that's Luke who's writing it, who is a physician. So a lot of scholars think what happened is Paul or Timothy or Silas got really sick and they didn't know a doctor in Asia, but they knew Luke who was, was more in the Macedonian area. So they had to like lean toward that area before Paul has this dream. We don't need to know. We just know God is sovereign over the details of how these doors are closed. And all of a sudden, all the good intentions and the right response to the message of Jesus leads to a closed door and Paul has a dream he sees a vision of a Macedonian man. It's widely thought that this was a vision of Alexander the Great, who had died uh, just before this era of history. If you remember, the Greeks under Alexander the Great took over most of the ancient world and then handed it over to the Romans who took what the Greeks have done and built roads on it. That's why the world 2,000 years ago was perfectly set up for the gospel to go out because you have a unified culture and for the first time in human history, you have the capacity to transport people all over the world through the Roman roads and system. And this Macedonian man says, come over here and help us. And Paul, who's attentive to the voice of God, says, hey, I know we thought we were going that way, but I had this dream. Now we're going this way. Let's look at what happens when they get to Macedonia. Go to verse 11. It says, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. I just want you guys to know when I pronounce stuff, it is not because I am a Bible expert. It's because I Google it. And it, it's the same guy who does all these videos. Just in case you want to know what I'm doing during the week, I'm listening to a guy who goes like this. He says, this is how he talks. He goes, we are looking at how to pronounce this word. This word is semothrace. Sem so that's what I'm doing while you guys are having real jobs. And in school, I'm like, okay, semothrace. That's great. That's awesome. And the next day, I'm serious. We went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the, that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected, circle that, expected, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. 
the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Y'all pay attention to this. I want to make this narrative make sense. After the closed door, getting to Asia, they roll up to Macedonia and they're picking a place to go. And Luke says, we went to the leading city of Macedonia, a city called Philippi. Philippi was named after Alexander the Great's dad, King Philip. And it was a haven for Roman soldiers to build houses. So because they were surrounded by people who had means and a connection to the Roman Empire, this was actually a pretty up-and-coming city at the time. And when they get there, it says, on the Sabbath, we went to the river to find a place of prayer. Why did they do that? Because as a Jew or a God-fearing Gentile, when you're in a city where there is no organized synagogue and it takes 10 male head of households to start a synagogue in a city, so that should tell you how lost Philippi is, when you've got no synagogue to gather at, the thought process is you find a body of water and you pray with all others who have come to worship the God of Israel on the Sabbath. So they go expecting to find a place of prayer. Instead, they find a group of women. And among these women, there's one named Lydia, who it says is a dealer in purple cloth. That should like go off in your mind as like, this woman is wealthy. The color purple is a sign of royalty and wealth. But just to be a dealer in something like that, think like fashion designer in New York City. This woman is rolling. She is successful. And as Paul and his friends articulate that the God they've been gathering to worship and pray to has made himself known by his son, who has came and lived the perfect life and died a sin death on our behalf so that anybody and everybody, Jew or Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, whatever your background is, you can come into saving faith in the family of God if you commit your life to being a follower of Jesus. And she's like, I'm in. And there's others who are like, I'm in. And as a sign of their being in, they get baptized on the spot. And she says, if you consider me to be one of you, I will open up my home. Mark this down. Hospitality is always a main marker of whether or not the Holy Spirit has rule over your heart and life. Come to my house. And the church in Philippi is born. Wait, why does that matter? Because many years later, Paul will be in jail in Rome and he will decide to write a letter to his favorite church. He never says, you guys are my favorite church, but if you read the language, come on, this is his favorite church. And he writes a letter that's ridiculous. You could take the time today to read it. It has four chapters and it will blow your mind. That letter is called Philippians. And in that letter, Paul says, you guys have supported my ministry more than anybody else. Pay attention. I want to make this all make sense. What, what, what did we just read in this story? We have a closed door and an unmet expectation. We have, we want to go preach in Asia. You're not going to Asia. You're going to Macedonia. Uh, okay. Well, we, we had good intentions to go there, but sure, we'll go here and, and it's the Sabbath. So we'll go pray. Actually, you're not just going to go pray. You're going to go preach and you're going to go tell this group all about Jesus. Yeah. But 2000 years ago, women were not regarded with the dignity that they are regarded today in our culture. And how is anything going to start here? No, I'm not just going to start a church here. I'm going to start the base financially for how your ministry is going to go forward for decades to come. How happy do you think Paul was that God closed the door in going to Asia to get him to Philippi? 
And how happy do you think this group in Philippi was that Paul didn't go to Asia, that he got there because they got to start a church and they got to invest into, I'm sorry, there's a lot of ministries that have done a lot of good, but how would you like to invest financially into Paul's ministry and watch how that works out over time in fruit and lives saved? We're literally benefiting from it as I talk today, but you have it all on the back end of a closed door and an unmet expectation. And I wanna argue today, this is not just an Act 16 thing. This is a biblical narrative from cover to cover in the scriptures, and it's this. When God closes doors, he always guides to a better path. And when God seems to disappoint your immediate expectations, he always ultimately exceeds them. Cover to cover in the scriptures, God is the God of open doors. He's also the God of closed ones. And every single time he is a good shepherd and leads his people down a better path, even when it seems like he's disappointing and frustrating what they wanted more than anything. And this is not just a pattern that you can read about Genesis to Revelation. This is a pattern that you can read on the faces of everybody in this room and in any room that's gathered with us that's been following Jesus for any amount of time. Ask people what the main marker of their story is that lets them know God is faithful. It's usually not some massive mountaintop moment where a miracle happened and God came through and we were believing he was gonna come through. It's actually usually what happens on the back end of being disillusioned and disappointed and coming to see that what God kept you from ultimately delivered you into what he wanted for you that was better for you. And you hear that from people and you read it on the pages of scriptures, but so many of us within the sound of my voice fail to ever get to that level of clarity and maturity in our walks with Jesus. Because for most of us, when God closes the door or when God doesn't meet your expectations, you disengage. And that's why the conclusion doesn't become, whoa, it's a better story and whoa, he ultimately exceeded it. So many people in the frustration and disappointment of, God, I believed you for this, and you didn't come through, disengage from bold faith. And you'd never get up here with a microphone and go, hey, I'm disengaging, I'm walking away from Jesus because he disappointed me. He closed the door, he didn't meet my expectations, so I'm walking away. No, disengagement is much more subtle. It's when you decide in your mind and you don't tell anybody, I'm never going to believe God boldly for anything again because the last time I did that, I got embarrassed. And you build walls in your heart and you go, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but in reality, you are living for the comfort that every lost person around you is living for and you're just walling yourself in enough to go, I'm gonna keep God at an arm's length because the last time I let him fully in, he closed the door. And he didn't meet the expectation. There are scores of people who have been hurt by others. And I definitely don't want to make light of your pain today. But the expectations that have shattered you have caused you to put walls up relationally. Where you're going, this Christian community that's supposed to form me into the image of Jesus, knowing others intimately, doing life deeply in accountability, count me out. No one is ever, even my spouse, no one is ever getting that close to me again because I got so burned by this person. And a closed door and an unmet expectation, oh my goodness, it can become what delivers you ultimately into God's story to a whole nother level, just like it did for Paul. But 
It can also be the very thing that derails your faith into disillusionment where you go, you know what, I'm a Christian, but I'm really just sitting on the sidelines because I'm so disappointed. And I want to talk to some people today whose hopes have been dashed and tell you that this story is an invitation from God. Even some of you, as you hear me preaching right now, your, your wall that's up is comparison. Like you're hearing this word and you're going, that's really good information, but the example that you gave in Acts is not as intense as what I'm going through. Like really, he wanted to go preach in this one city and I know that's a heartbreaking closed door, but come on, he got to go to this one and it quickly ended up so much better for him there. And oh, come on, all they were doing is going to pray. It's not that hard for them to preach to this woman. The, the door that God closed for me was a lot more hurtful. It was a lot more harmful. The expectation that I had has shattered my reality and just your willingness to immediately compare pain instead of let the word go deep and do the work is the wall that you're putting up that's keeping you from God delivering you into what he ultimately wants to deliver you into. I want the walls to come down today. I want you to believe for God boldly today. I want you to take the hopes and the dreams that have been dashed and go, yes, that's what happened. But God, I believe in your character more than I want to react to these circumstances. I've seen this. I've seen this in the people of Israel. I've seen this in the life of Jonah. I'm going to do a series on Jonah probably later this year where you're going to see every plan that that guy makes, God shuts the door on his plan. And it's not to drive him crazy. Well, some of it is because Jonah kind of had issues. But it's not to drive Jonah crazy or play games with him. It's to deliver him into ultimately what he was created for. And I can read through not just the stories of the Old Testament. I can read through the stories of my life. I've been following Jesus a shorter time than many of you, just over 20 years. Wow. God is up to something when he closes doors and when he disappoints expectations. He is, uh, oh, I can see this in, in my journey to marry Courtney. Some of y'all who are married in the room need to be amening the fact that the covenant you are in right now is the result of God closing a door in your face that thank God he closed. Like, thank God. And some of you who are younger, God is closing the door right now and you're fighting that closed door. And you need to hear from people who are beyond your season, the closed door is awesome if you give him time. Like, because the closed door ultimately delivers you where you ultimately want to go. You just see it with a different perspective. I see it in my story, and I see it in the story of this church. I, I am not a church planting expert by any means. Like, when people ask me that, like, you're a church planter. I'm like, no, ACC was just, it was just different. Like, what do you call a group of people who are in a hardware store and just decide randomly to throw together a gathering? Like, I just, we, we weren't a typical church plant at all, but I can tell you there were a lot of days and weeks where I carried doors shut in my face and expectations for what I thought this was going to be like be shattered in real time. And 10 years into the journey, I'm like, okay, I see this differently now. You don't close a door to confuse. You close a door to preserve. You close a door to guide. You don't disappoint expectations to frustrate you disappoint expectations to elevate, to take things to places that I, on my best day, wouldn't even dreamed. And that, y'all look up here and do not miss what I'm about to say. If I lost you at any point, you need to look up here. The goal of this sermon is that those four words, closed doors and unmet expectations, technically five, those of you who are like, oh, we'll get the and in there. Okay, five words. I want those words 
to make you perk up spiritually more than become downcast. I want you in your life to start to go, oh, wow, there's a closed door. He's up something because he don't ever do that by accident. And he definitely doesn't do it just to drive me crazy. Oh, there's something got ruined that I thought was gonna work out like this, but it actually went like this. I actually want that spiritually with maturity to cause you to pay more attention and be attentive to what God is doing more than you disengage and become so disillusioned and disappointed that you withdraw. Because that's what happened to Paul. The closed door didn't cause him to go back and go, well, I guess we can't preach anymore. The closed door caused him to be open to the dream that sent him where he was intended to go. And so today, the goal of today is simply when God in your story closes a door, or doesn't meet the expectation you had, what if you started to turn on your eyes and ears to the voice of God more than you decided to wallow in your misery? Two points before you go today. Is this helping anyone in a specific season? I just, I knew this was for someone specific who's going through it, but also if you're not going through this right now, I think this is an amazing opportunity to prepare yourself for the next time that it's coming. Because here's the bad news. We want to act like, well, God rarely closes doors and rarely disappoints our expectations. Actually, and, and someone can disagree with me on this, I think he does it a lot more than we realize. Like this, this may be his go-to move to get you where you need to go because you're a sheep who needs to be led sometimes in other ways other than the immediate instruction. So I just wanna warn you, if you're here, you're like, I'm not really in the disappointed hurting season. I'm kind of rejoicing right now. That's great. Don't wanna depress you. Just wanna warn you, tomorrow might be different. And if you're following Jesus, he's got a tendency to work things out this way. I got two points and then we're gonna sing to God. Close doors and unmet expectations. What do I do? Number one, when God closes a door, Move on and stay attentive. When God closes a door, move on and stay attentive. That's what Paul did. Watch this in verse seven. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Here's something you probably ignored the first time that I want you to circle. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. I love that. What did Paul do when God closed the door? He passed by. He moved on. He didn't camp out and go, had to be some kind of a mistake in heaven. We got to negotiate this. We're going to sit right here and fast until a door opens for us to preach in Asia. No, he gets the direction from God and he moves on. Now, this sermon begs the question, and y'all need to look up here and not miss what I'm about to say. It begs the question, what is the difference between God closing a door in my life and God inviting me to persevere in prayer until a certain door is open? That's a great question. What's the difference between this door is closed, move on, and Jesus saying things like, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Knock and the door will be open to you. Like, which one am I, am I supposed to move on or am I supposed to press in and persevere? The answer to that question, just like the answer to most hard questions biblically, is two words, wisdom and discernment. Wisdom and discernment about the will of God. There's not a black and white answer of yours is a closed door. Yours is one you need to persevere. It's, it's wisdom and discernment. Well, how do I get wisdom and discernment? Three filters. The prompting of the Holy Spirit personally, the leading of the Holy Scriptures, and the wisdom of others who are further along in the journey. Anytime you're making a decision about the will of God, those are the filters you go to. Okay, what do I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me? But y'all, please never stop at, well, this is what I feel the Spirit leading me in. Because how the spirit is leading you, when that looks different than what the scripture says and what people around you who are wiser than you are saying, you are not being led by the Holy Spirit, you're being led by your stomach. 
And you need to allow the other filters to speak in. So I'm paying attention to the scriptures. I'm sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And other people are around me. And as I pay attention to those filters, I think God's not a God of confusion. He's a God of clarity. And when he clearly communicates to you, listen, you don't need to persevere and wait for me to open this door. This one is closed. You need to move on. The mistake I witness so many Christians, particularly younger Christians, and especially in their dating lives make, is that when God closes a door against the advice of every wiser person around them, they just stand in front of that door, like waiting there is going to make it open and then it will be right to walk through it. And I just want to tell them, listen, God might open this door at some point, but not after you put the entire rest of your life spiritually on pause and stand there. The only way you're ever walking through this door is if you move on from it and go on a path of following Jesus and the door pops up in your life later. That's the only way that's going to work out. But your life will literally be paralyzed if you continue to go, okay, God, I'm gonna have an arm wrestling match against you for your will. You don't wanna be in that position because you will lose. You're arguing with the God of the universe about your story and he loves you too much to give you what you want sometimes. But who knows, when I tell people leave behind a closed door, I'm like, either that door is gonna pop up open better, most of the time, it's a better door that you want instead. And so you gotta have a willingness like Paul to go, okay, this is what we thought it was gonna be, but now we're going this way, and I don't even know where the doors are gonna be on this journey, but I trust the heart of the guide who is leading me. What, what is it? Move on, and number two, stay attentive. No, no, not point number two, just part number two of point number one. Sorry, guys, that was confusing. Move on and stay attentive. What does it mean to stay attentive? It means to continue to press in and listen to the voice of God. If Paul allows himself to be so disillusioned by the closed door in Asia, he doesn't hear the dream to go to Philippi. Sometimes you completely paralyze your next step spiritually by holding on to details from a previous one that keep you from sensing the voice of God to lead you forward. So when God does close a door, don't let that be the reason why you shut down your quiet time and stop listening to the podcast and stop attending church and stop going to community group and stop really tuning in or going to all of those things, but just kind of with your arms crossed and an apathetic attitude. Let that be the reason why you're going, okay, God, that's where I thought we were going. Clearly you're doing something different. So if you're speaking, I'm listening. And it could be through the scriptures. It could be through a dream. It could be through another person. Holy Spirit, speak to me and guide me and lead me. And what if a closed door made you more attentive to the voice of God, not more shut down. And the closed door became the thing that propelled you into going deeper with God and didn't have to be the thing that knocked you out entirely. When God closes the door, move on and stay attentive. Number two, number two, then we're done. When your expectations go unmet, get your hopes up and pay attention. When your expectations go unmet, get your hopes up and pay attention. There are so many similarities between this sermon and one that I preached a year ago on the walk to Emmaus. And if you don't know the story of the walk to Emmaus, it's in Luke chapter 24. And it's the story of two believers in Jesus who are walking away from the crucifixion and they're so disappointed. Like they, they are disillusioned. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're going to a city called Emmaus, which is about seven miles away. And on the walk, a man walks up to him and says, what are you guys talking about? And they look at the man and they go, do you not know what just happened? The one who, here's their words, three words, we had hoped 
was going to be the Messiah and redeem Israel was killed. And what's more, it's been three days. We heard a rumor that the tomb was empty, but we're done. They don't know that the man that they're talking to is the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus rebukes their dashed hopes. And you look at it and read it and you go, okay, Jesus, I understand you're, you're like mad that they weren't paying attention for you rising from the dead and everything, but like, can you be a little more sensitive? Like they should be a little disappointed. They should have their hopes dashed. Like I would be probably doing the same thing. What's the deal? When Jesus rebukes them, he rebukes them on the basis of attaching their hopes to their circumstances in life instead of attaching their hopes to the promises of scripture. Read Luke 24. What does Jesus call them out about? He's like, did you not read? You should have seen this coming. Where's your hope? Was your hope in what you saw on that hill? Was your hope in what you thought I was gonna know? Your hope was in your own expectations of how the story would play out. But when your hope goes from being attached to the narratives you have made up about your life to being attached to the promises that God has made about his own story, then you always have a reason to get your hopes up. Always. And I realize this could be the most tone-deaf sermon in the world on the back end of everything happening in Israel right now. I get it. There's not a lot of reason in our culture and in our world to have a lot of hope other than the fact that our hope is not in who is in power. Our hope is not in a news cycle. Our hope is definitely not in a Twitter timeline. Our hope is in the rock solid promises of God that Jesus will do and accomplish everything he said he's gonna do. And if this, if this is where your hope is tied, you should always, always be bouncing around with hope because we know how the story started and how it ends. Jesus wins, doesn't change. And now your expectations don't have to be the roller coaster ride of your peace. I no longer does, does the story match what I thought have to be, whether or not I'm okay. It could be bad, it could be great. But regardless, my hopes are attached to the scriptures and you got a reason to get your hopes up and you got a reason to pay attention. That's the last part, pay attention. God is really, really good at telling new stories the same way. And he does it on the same arc that the scriptures are on. He'll do this in your life and he'll do this in individual stories in the scripture. It works three ways. I've talked about this before. Dream, death, and rebirth. This is the story of the Bible. What's the dream? Mankind walking unashamed with God in the garden. What's the death? Sin, disobedience against God. Death reigns because the wages of sin is death. What's the rebirth? The new creation. That Jesus is risen and invites us into his new life when we're united to him by faith. But this isn't just the story of the Bible. This is the story. Of, this is Joseph, guys. Can you put those three, three things? Oh, they're still behind me. Good job, guys. This is Joseph. Joseph had a dream my brothers are gonna come bow down to me and I'm gonna be in a position of influence? Wow. And then he had a lot of deaths. He was literally left for dead in a cistern and then he was sold into slavery. And even though he stayed faithful to God, he was lied about, said that he committed adultery with Potiphar's wife who was arrested for that. He didn't, he was faithful to God. Even while he's in prison, he can't get out of prison because the person he helps get out of prison forgets about him. And many years later, a rebirth happens 
when Joseph is invited to interpret Pharaoh's dream and preserves a remnant for God and is restored to right relationship with his brothers and his dad. This is a story that God is really good at telling. And it's a story that's coming for your marriage. It's coming for your children. It's coming for your career. But people who tap out when the death happens don't see the rebirth. And I just have like one thing on my agenda today. It is to beg and plead with some of you to not disengage from going deeper with God because you are hurt and disappointed. Invite him into your pain. Give yourself permission to be hopeful again. You're a Christian. You can always do that and pay attention. Oh, my expectations have been ruined. Well, I am, I'm paying attention because I serve a God who tells stories of dreams and deaths and rebirths. We, we might literally have that happen in this room today. I don't normally do this, but I feel, I just sense the Holy Spirit doing it before we take communion. Some of you have never had any intention of having a relationship with God and being in this room or being wherever you are right now has you rethinking the entire story of your life. There was a journey that you thought you were walking down in life and it's dying in front of your eyes right now. You're going, what this guy's talking about is true. God is real. And I think the most unlikely thing in the world is about to happen. I think I'm about to give my life to Jesus. The rebirth that happens on the back end of that decision is unlike anything you will ever experience. And I don't want to lie to you. It's hard. But it's the greatest decision you will ever make. Some of y'all need to, in your own spirit, when we take communion, you need to say yes to God and devote your life to being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. For everyone in the room who's willing, let's get out our elements for communion. If you don't want to take communion with us, you certainly don't have to. This is an invitation for believers to share in the body and blood of Jesus. We remember how we were brought into a right relationship with God. And I want you, as you take communion, to even think about Jesus's dream, death and rebirth. But I do want to humbly ask, especially in this room, the next few moments are very sensitive for a lot of people who are going through real stuff. What you're about to rush out into in life can wait. Let's stay right where we are in our seats and be attentive. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand right where you're at. Our team has them. They'll bring them to where you are. Uh, let's take a moment, take communion. Husbands, please pray over your wives. Just take a second in the presence of God, and then we are going to sing the only song we can possibly sing today about hopes that rise where the church pays attention to Jesus. So y'all take communion, and then we'll come right back.